Hey guys, before we get started with the episode, I just have two announcements to make. One, uh, I have the Jibs Journal is out now. I send a weekly journal uh, through email every single week that covers uh, episode highlights, tips and tricks that the entrepreneurs in the show have gone over, um, and just other cool things that are happening. If you're interested in being subscribed to that journal, uh, the link is in the description. The second announcement is I've released a course. Uh, so the course is how to crowdfund for your passion project or side hustle. Uh, I crowdfunded over $65,000 in less than 90 days um, through my organization called Research Detroit. Uh, and the, the class is going to cover you know, the nitty-gritty details on, on how I did that, how I delega- delegated the tasks with my team, the templates, the samples. Um, it goes into full detail on how to run an effective crowdfunding campaign. Um, so if you're interested in taking that course, the link is in the description as well. It's just about getting up and doing it and like, you know, finding the time, finding the people and making it happen. You take control and you say, okay, this needs to be done and you do it. And you're never ready to start a business. You <laughs> just either, you either do it or you don't. Welcome to the Jibs Podcast, showcasing Detroit's movers and shakers, bringing you stories that reveal the gusto and grit that's long defined the city and its people. Together, we'll uncover the history and direction of the Motor City, one voice at a time. This is the Jibs Podcast with Jabron Ahmed. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Jibs Podcast. Today is pretty exciting because it's a multiple, it's like a two-person podcast, pretty much. I'm here with Brian Weitzel of Ride Your Money Wave. Um, and on his podcast, he, you know, he talks about personal finance and starting your own business and a lot of information that I think people just can't really get enough of and need to hear multiple times to kind of digest. Um, so if you just want to introduce yourself and what you do. Sure. Yeah, thanks for having me, first of all. Um, I know we grabbed coffee about a couple weeks ago, and I was excited for that meeting. And that turned into a few hours of talking and catching up and chatting. And uh, so I'm really excited to be here uh, because I think we both bring something unique and um, can add a lot of value and insight to people. So uh, like you said, my name is Brian Weitzel with with, uh, (laughs) Ride Your Money Wave uh, podcast. I almost mentioned my uh, photography company because I'm so I'm, used to it. You can if you want. Oh, well, sure. We'll shamelessly plug it. But uh, <laughs> So I actually run two companies, uh, BTW Photography, which specializes in weddings. And then I enjoyed documenting and photographing and planning my own engagement so much that I started a proposal photography company called She Said Yes Detroit. And... Uh, That is really to help guys plan and execute their perfect proposal uh, for their significant other and to document it photographically. So I'm definitely all involved and all encompassed in in the wedding industry. But in addition to that, uh, I also teach high school and I teach high school economics and I've been doing that for 14 years. And part of the curriculum that really isn't that stressed, but I make time for it because it's had such a large impact on my life, is personal finance. Mm -hmm. And this year, uh, I love my students, but unfortunately, I think cell phones have kind of gotten the best of us. I mean, we see even the attention span of adults and the communication and the soft skills of adults is even... Um, struggling or lacking because it's so common 
to be distracted by your phone. I mean, how many times do you go out to a restaurant and you see a couple sitting across from each other, not even talking because they're looking down, right? And so uh, that was trickling into the, into the classroom. And I just said, okay, um, here are students that perhaps have to be here but don't necessarily want to be here. Why don't I go create my own classroom of people that want to be there? And it's going to take some time, but I think once they buy into the values and the system that I have implemented in my own life to um, statistically become wealthy, then I think that's going to grow and we're going to create a, a classroom and a community that's all about um, you know, financial responsibility, financial literacy, and really becoming financially independent. Mm, so. That's how the podcast got started. It was really just seeing an opportunity um, to fill a void and to to help people out. So let me shut this up. Without that now, or no, it won't. Do it won't show that? up, but it's just bothering me. Yeah, I thought it was pretty loud. Yeah. Um, so then, how did you? Well, you teach you teach economics, right? Correct. Yeah. So how did you get interested in economics um, beforehand? It sounds heartless and cold, but I always liked money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's just. Uh, I grew up and my favorite show to watch on Saturday mornings was Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous with Robin Leach. Mm -hmm. And that kind of uh, is dating myself and shows you a little bit how old I am because my students don't even know who Robin Leach is. But uh, it was a show long before Instagram that basically just showed exactly how rich people live. And I thought it was fascinating. Um, and that, but I, I really became interested in economics when I saw that once I stepped out of my bubble, right? Um, very specifically, I remember one time my parents, they met at Wayne State University and we were driving to my uncle's cottage and my mom, you know, leans over and grabs my dad's hand and says, let's, you know, let's stop by Wayne State real quick. Let's go look at the old, you know, fraternity house where we met. And mm -hmm. so, this is probably 20 years ago when Detroit was not the city that it is today. And we drove through some rougher parts of Detroit and I was looking out the window and going, oh my God, like, wh why is it like this, you know? And um, so seeing poverty and seeing struggles of, you know, everyday Americans and trying to understand why that was when that was something that I wasn't experiencing really introduced me to this concept of the economy and economics and markets. And um, I think all of us growing up at some point as we become independent, go through tough financial times. And I know there was times when I was broke. Mm -hmm. I mean, I couldn't even afford heat in my house. Um, there was times when I couldn't afford gasoline, so I rode my bike to work. You know, there was times when I was juggling four different jobs um, in order to make ends meet. 
Um, and so, you know, going through those experiences not only makes you more human, but it also makes you never want to <laughs> live through those experiences again. And so that's what really got me interested in personal finance going, I don't want this to be my reality. What can I do uh, to make my money work for me? Because I'm working really hard for my money and I can't seem to make enough of it. So there has to be a better way. There has to be a better system. And um, that's really what introduced me to personal finance. And then you implement a system and you wake up 15 years later and you know, you're counting your blessings. Yeah. I, there's a lot of things you said that I think are really interesting. Uh, so for, for your students that are both high school and then even just listeners of the podcast or people you just advise, um, what are some of like the basic things that you tell them uh, to do in terms of personal finance? And that's a great question. What I think is interesting is that really none of the content that I talk about on the podcast is original. Mm -hmm. If you read all these different um, personal finance books, we all say 90% of the same thing. We just put it through our own filter, or maybe we use a different analogy that we can relate to. So for example, the name of the podcast, Ride Your Money Wave, came from a surfing experience that I had in Hawaii. And I was paddling out to sea. My shoulders were burning, right? I was with uh, my friend Mejia, and she's like, okay, listen, you see that wave way out there? She said, that's coming in. That's going to be a good wave. You're going to catch it. And she goes, you're going to just paddle, 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 paddle. You're going to work really hard. And she goes, and at the precise moment, you want to stand up, tip the board down, and that wave is going to catch you, and it's going to bring you in. I said, okay, let's do this, you know? So she was next to me, and I'm working. I'm working so hard. My shoulders are burning, right? I'm doing all this work, and at the precise moment, I hop up, stand on the board, the wave catches me, and I just take off. And the wave did all the work. And I had so much enjoyment. It was such a thrill catching my first wave, and it takes you all the way, you know, into shore. And that's really true of life, and that's really true of money. You can spend 10, 15 years in your youth working really hard, developing your career, and most importantly, buying assets, you know, buying stocks, investing in the S&P 500, opening up a Roth IRA, contributing to your 401k, maybe buying your first house. You're buying all these assets. And then what happens is once you've accumulated enough assets, those assets are generating enough income where they're going to be doing all the work and they're going to be creating enough money that you can live off of. Mm -hmm. So truly to ride your own money wave means that you can live off of the appreciation of your assets or passive income. Mm -hmm. And so up until my wife and I bought our recent house, uh, we were riding our own money wave. We had no car debt. We had no car loans. Um, we have no student loans. And we have two rental properties that we're paying for our mortgage as well as some of our living expenses. And so almost every penny that we were making, we could actually just bank 
and yeah. spend and we never had to worry about anything. I mean, we were, you know, 34, 35 years old and it felt like we had won the lottery. We had achieved financial independence. And so that's the main concept of Ride Your Money Wave. And if you think about that, that's pretty remarkable that I, if I wanted, I could have spent essentially the next 50 years <laughs> just kicking back, enjoying myself, whatever. Now, uh, I like to be busy and I, and I like to pursue passions and goals. And so, um, you know, I started more businesses and things mm -hmm. like that. But to answer your question very specifically, which uh, I apologize for my long-winded rant. <laughs> that was good. But, you know, becoming wealthy is really about behavior. 90% of becoming wealthy is simply about controlling yourself and controlling your behavior. The market will do what it does. The market will work, the market will grow. And when you put your money in the market, you're aligning your incentive with the incentive of businesses. Apple wants to make money. Amazon wants to make money. Google wants to make money. Facebook, all Netflix, you name it. They all are in search of profits. Well, so am I. So what I've really realized is that becoming wealthy isn't so much about like picking the right stock or um, knowing the most about something. It's really about controlling your own behavior and developing a relationship with money that's healthy and developing a person, a money personality that is balanced and healthy. Um, being able to say no to yourself, uh, making sure that you're not buying something to impress other people, you know, making sure that your ego isn't getting in the way. Uh, you know, if one, t if you have a gray t-shirt from H&M that's $6, and you have a gray t-shirt from Calvin Klein that doesn't even have a logo on it and it's $45. Mm -hmm. There's people out there that will buy that $45 t-shirt because it makes them feel special. And it's like, look, you got to lose that ego and take that money and use it for more productive purposes. Now, it's not saying that you can't live. I mean, my wife and I, we go out to eat, we go on vacations, things like that. But going out to eat, Going on vacations, it feels so much better when you're doing it in a financially responsible way as well. Mm -hmm. You know that um, you don't have to feel any guilt because you're already taking care of your future self. So let's go to this kid who's like 17 or 16 and they, they get their first job. Uh, what can he or she do immediately to make sure that you know they are going to be financially independent or what assets at that age can somebody buy when they don't have that much money? Sure. And that's a great question. So there's a couple things that I think everyone should implement. And the sooner you do it, the more likely you are to become wealthy. The very first thing is you need to pay yourself first, meaning you need to set aside a portion of every income of every paycheck and just put it out of sight, out of mind. I have a rule that if you can't see it, you can't spend it. So my money comes in and it separates into two different accounts. One is my checking. That's what I live off of. And in my checking account, I have a watermark, right? And that watermark is probably about two to three months worth of living expenses. It doesn't even need to be that high, but that's just kind of like what I'm comfortable with. My cash flow varies. 
um, because of rental properties and you know a hot water heater blows up or whatever the case may be. Um, and so I like to have, that's my watermark. And my other account, that's my savings account, and it's in a different bank. I actually like using online banks or even credit unions because you get a higher rate of return. And so that money is not as easily accessible, and that's a good thing. If I can't see it, I can't spend it, right? It's out of sight, it's out of mind. So if all I do is really focus on how much money do I have for my daily needs and making sure that that's covered, anything extra can automatically go into that savings account. Mm -hmm. But that's really step one, and you're not gonna grow your money doing that. Uh, you wanna put your money to work for you. And so what I encourage everyone to do is to save at least 15% of every paycheck and to invest that money. Um, if you're 16, 17 years old, your options are a little bit limited because you need to have your parents sign on and create what's called a custodial account. Um, what I normally tell my students is, hey, listen, your goal for the next year, year and a half or so is to save and read. You have to read finance articles. You can find them online. They're very easy. They take like five minutes. You can pick up this book and I have a whole like reading list. And your goal is to you know, save and read so that on your 18th birthday, then you can open up what's called a Roth IRA. And a Roth IRA is a great investment vehicle because the money that goes in has already been taxed and the money that comes out is tax free. So if you look at a young person, they're in the lowest tax rate of their life, right? Mm -hmm. When they retire, they're gonna be in a much higher tax rate. Let's pay 10% taxes now so that we can save ourselves paying 40% taxes later, right? Mm -hmm. And if we look at the state of our nation, my guess is we're probably gonna to have to raise taxes in order to pay down our debt. So that 40% tax rate might be 50%, 60%. I mean, we've seen it before um, in American history. So long story short, you're 16, 17, 18 years old. You are, even if you're in college and you're working part-time or whatever, you wanna get in the habit. And remember I said that really wealth comes down to controlling yourself and controlling habits. You wanna get in the habit of setting aside at least bare minimum 15%. I like setting aside at least 20, 25% of every paycheck and investing that money. And when you're young, you're gonna start off by investing in a Roth IRA. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of places that offer a Roth IRA. Currently, two of my favorites would be uh, Wealthfront or Betterment. These are websites, these are apps that you can have on your phone. And for a very low management fee, they will automatically invest it in a well-balanced portfolio and they will take care of everything. So like I said, like 90% of becoming wealthy is habit. 10% is actual knowledge. Well now, uh, due to robo-advisors and apps and all kinds of other systems that are there to help you, you don't even really need to know how the investing works. All you need to know is, hey listen, I need to make more and I need to save more. And you just put it in Wealthfront and it automatically adjusts the portfolio according to your risk and according to your age as time goes on. And 
you can go live your life. Yeah, betterment's been awesome for me. Uh, also, like something I just want to add on that's worked for me, uh, not spending money like foolishly or saving more money is like, uh, I have found that to create habits, like it's not really a willpower thing. It's more like just putting yourself in a situation where you can't do those certain things. So like, for example, I don't keep junk food in my house. Otherwise, I know I'm going to eat it because I love junk food. Sure. So like if I go out, then I only take the money that I need maybe to, to buy like one meal or something. Whereas I know if I had additional dollars, I'm going to go buy something that I don't need. And so much of our daily decisions are influenced by habit and are influenced by environment, right? So if you change your environment, if you change your triggers, um, then suddenly you're going to be changing your habits. So I know for me, for Lent, I actually gave up uh, Facebook. So I deleted the app off of my phone. It was a great 40 days. 40 days rolls around and I said, you know, I don't really even really need this. And what I did, I do need it for business, um, keeping in contact with uh, some of my clients and things like that. But what I did is rather than have it on my home screen, I actually put it on like the third or fourth page. So now when I open up my phone, I don't see it right there. Mm -hmm. And as it turns out, I spend a lot less time actually on Facebook. Now it's still on my phone. It's like three seconds worth of swiping, right? But that tiny little change has cut down my Facebook consumption immensely. And so I spend more time with my wife. I spend more time just enjoying my surroundings. It's crazy how the tiniest little trigger will, can have a huge impact um, you know, on your daily routine or your life. And the same is true with who you hang out with, the media that you consume, um, the music you listen to, what do you aspire to, mm -hmm. right? I mean, me personally, I. I understand it from a sociological aspect. I don't understand it from a personal finance aspect. People that will spend $300 on a pair of Jordans, but they only have $500 to their name. Right. And you're like, that makes no sense from a responsibility standpoint. But when all of their friends and the culture and things like that say, hey, listen, you're nobody unless you have these Jordans, it's like change your framework. Right, And um, once you change your influences, once you change what you look up to, once you change uh, the media that you consume, moving from music over to podcasts, going from pointless articles to reading books, you will begin to change yourself. Uh, you'll begin to really reach your potential. And I think in the long run, you'll also become much more wealthy. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk about student loans. It's one of the biggest problems in the country. Uh, I know I have a problem with it. or It definitely has an effect on my life and the way that I spend my money. So what kind of strategies would you have for people that are in student loan debt uh, to pay that loan off sooner than later? It is a huge issue. Uh, it, it's... I feel bad because we've all been there where a problem seems so big 
that we seem like anything we do is like helpless, right? And so I have the analogy, it's kind of like taking a pebble and throwing it at a stone wall. Mm -hmm. And you expect the stone wall to like knock over, you know? And you're like, look, it's like David and Goliath. It's just not going to happen, right? But once you build, you start paying it down, you start building that momentum, it starts feeling really good. And I know that um, I have my own student loan in the form of a large mortgage. And I told my wife, I said, look, my goal is to pay this off in five years. And in order to do that, we have to pay this much every year, and it's a ridiculous sum. But I took a deep breath and I said, okay, let me just throw a grand at it, two grand at it. You know, oh, I made an extra 500, let me throw that at it, you know? And of course, I always set money aside for taxes so I don't get hit at the end. But once I started to develop that mentality, I started to feel like I was doing something. I started to feel like I was in control. I started to feel like I was taking care of my problem. And it felt awesome. And so now the momentum is starting to build. The same is true with student loans. You have 40, 50, 80, $100,000, and you're like, holy crap, how do I even approach this, right? And you have two different um, approaches. One, if your student loans have a very low interest rate, we're talking like 4%. Very few student loans have that low of an interest rate. But mathematically speaking, you are better off actually putting money into the market, taking on risk, where you will average about seven, eight, nine percent return, um, you'll end up better in the long run doing that, and then just slowly paying your student loans off. So the suffering might be a little bit longer, mm -hmm. but the pot of gold at the end of the race is going to be much bigger as well. Um, the same is true if you have a four hundred one k offering at work and they, you know, they match. Well, that's free money, so you want to put money there because that's a guaranteed doubling of the match as opposed to 5% savings on the student loans. Uh, the other approach is if your student loans are higher and they're you know, 8%, 9%, I mean, I've seen some student loans even higher than that, then you wanna pay those down first. Uh, so in order to pay them down, you really have two options, and this is true with any financial goal. You can either play offense or you can play defense, and I suggest you play both. Playing offense means that you're going to go out and you're going to make more money. Um, you can do that by starting a side hustle. You can do that by going and picking up a second shift. You can do that by creating you know, passive streams of income. Uh, it's not always easy, but once you get used to that lifestyle and that becomes your norm, you can't think of any other way of living. And you really start to feel empowered when you start making additional money on the side from your own talents, your own, um, you know, value. On the flip side, you can also play defensively, which is saving more money. Mm -hmm. So you want to live as cheaply as possible for as long as possible. Now, this may mean that you move back in with your parents. This may mean that you drive an eight-year-old car that you had all throughout college. This may mean that you know you don't get to post awesome vacation photos <laughs> that all your friends are going on. 
uh, on Instagram or that you know you're not doing Sunday brunch and you're posting your $5 lattes and things like that you have to say no to yourself all of the time but by playing defensively and saving as much money as you can um, you can take that savings and put it towards your student loans and pay that down faster but you know when I was struggling to get by I was incredibly frugal um, in order to avoid going into debt, in order to avoid using credit cards and going into credit card debt and things like that. So if you take those same practices and you apply it to your student loans, you can pay them off in an accelerated rate. Find ways to make additional money and find ways to save money. So if you have a apartment, see if you can, you know, uh, find someone to rent out a room or I mean if you really want to go to the extreme put some bunk beds in there or you mm -hmm. know get a sleeper couch right a sofa couch and now a one-bedroom apartment turns into three people living there it might not be fun it might not be exactly uh, you know spacious and cozy but now suddenly you went from $800 a month down to $150 a month Okay, $650 extra towards your student loans is going to make you feel really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was really good advice. What? It's just math. Yeah. That's the thing. Guys, if you, are, if you are like scared about money, you got to realize that algebra doesn't lie. And with money, either you are going to be its master and it's going to do exactly what you tell it to do. Think about like a well-trained dog, right? You know, there are people who train their dog so well that they say a word and the dog stops and sits and doesn't jump on you, right? And you, they can say, they can snap their finger and say, okay, go to your crate, and it goes to its crate. I mean, my aunt and uncle had a dog that would, uh, once it went outside, it would come in and it would push the door with its nose and close the door behind it. That's how mm. trained it was. I said, this is incredible. You know, you, you taught your dog to close the door. <laughs> you know, when money is the master of you, which I think is where a lot of people are today, they have no control, you know, and they are living a life and having to have less options and make decisions that are less than ideal for them. And so for your listeners, if you know you're scared about money you just need to realize that money are money is an inanimate object and it will do exactly what you tell it to do so take control of it uh the math is very simple it's just algebra we all learn that in like second third fourth grade right addition mm -hmm. subtraction things like that and um yeah just take control and start to build momentum towards goals that you want yeah uh one more thing about credit scores. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's another thing that plagues a lot of people is low credit scores or not being able to build it. Um, what's your advice on that? You know, I once said something controversial and it shocked a lot of people. And then when I explained the statistics behind it, they said, oh yeah, that makes sense. And that was, I'm more afraid of credit card debt than I am of cancer. And people were like, what? Like that's, that's rude, that's disrespectful for all those who have had cancer. And I said, well look, 
This is what I mean by this. One in three women and one in two guys are going to have cancer statistically. And I look around and I know a lot of people in my life have had cancer. Um, but if you look at it statistically, it's going to happen. I mean, we're going to flip a coin right. and either, you know, I don't want to play this game, but right. either you're going to have it or I'm going to have it. Right. So I can't exactly be afraid of it when the, the statistics are that high. But we don't have to go into credit card debt, right? That's not natural. That's not a naturally occurring thing in nature or the human condition or anything like that. You know, that's something that we create for ourselves and it's completely avoidable. And so to talk about credit scores um, and having a low credit score, it's kind of along that same path. It's not, and this, is, this could be a controversial statement, but it's not exactly natural to have a low credit score right? Um, that's something just like credit card debt that can be avoided. And so I understand that there are circumstances, you know, um, no one anticipates a large medical bill that you have to put on your credit card and, you know, pay it off over time. I, I totally get that. And uh, I respect that. But overall, just managing your money on a day-to-day -day basis, paying off your credit card in full every month, um, you know, not, not having uh, enormous amounts of debt that are potentially unnecessary. Um, you know, it's interesting when you have a higher credit score, uh, and I, I, part of me doesn't even like talking about this or acknowledging it, but it's just the way the world works. But when you have a higher credit score, the table is turned and the system is almost rigged in your favor. Because when you have a higher credit score, you have more options. Oh, you want to buy this home? You want to rent this apartment? Yeah, sure, anything. You're, you're responsible, you're reliable. You can choose to live really in any area that you want. Nicer school district, you know, less crime, whatever the case may be. Um, but you actually pay less for things when you have a higher credit score. Because I can walk into a car dealership and I have like 820 credit. So I can walk in and, and they say, you know, well sure, look, uh, you are approved for 0% financing for six years. I say, perfect, thanks. And so now I put 0% down, they give me the car, and six years later when I finally am done paying it off, I'm actually paying less for that car because of inflation, right? Mm. Inflation is eating away at the value of the purchasing price. So six years later, 3% per year, that last payment has 18% less purchasing power than my first payment. I'm actually coming out ahead. They're putting that car on sale at the end for me. Whereas someone that has a lower credit score, they say, oh, well, you know, it looks like you struggle with paying your bills and stuff. You're more of a risk. And so now we are going to, um, we're going to charge you 5.9% APR. So that person is now, you know, paying more for that car. So having a good credit score really tilts the table, uh, tilts the scale to your favor when you're making larger purchases. And you can actually like negotiate better with the bank and things like that because you are a valued 
commodity. I mean, I've walked into different larger purchases, houses, things like that, where they pull credit scores. And, you know, I can essentially get what I want or negotiate different fees off and things like that because I know that if they don't give it to me, the bank down the road is going to. Mm-hmm. So you want to have a high credit score and a couple of tips for that. Uh, keep, your, keep your debt low. Credit score companies uh, like Experian, they look at your debt to credit ratio. So you can have multiple cards open. Just make sure that you don't have any debt on those cards and they'll actually increase your credit score. Um, make sure you're paying all of your bills on time. You want a long credit history. So I have a credit card that um, has no uh, bonus points. There's nothing to it. It was one of the first credit cards I ever got. But I put Spotify on it every month Mm -hmm. just to keep that credit score or credit uh, history open. So when they pull my credit score, they say, oh my gosh, you've had this credit card for 15 years. You know, and you pay it off every month. Wow, you're really responsible. Sure, it's Spotify. It's 15 bucks a month. You know what I mean? They don't know that it's only Spotify, but they see that I have, you know, several thousand dollars worth of credit limit on it and that I'm paying it off every month. You know, they just think that I'm, you know, Mr. Responsibility. So there's different things that you can do to make sure that you uh, grow your credit score and maintain a higher credit score. And in the long run, doing that will save you money on your much larger purchases. Mm, I see. Um, well, cool, man. Is it, for people that want to listen to your podcast or want to connect with you, where can they find you? They can find me on iTunes, on Spotify, and on Stitcher. And the name of the podcast is Ride Your Money Wave. And uh, you can go on rideyourmoneywave.com as well. Mm-hmm. Cool, man. I appreciate it. There was a lot of good advice in there. Um, and I hope that people listening and watching you know, take that advice to heart. But again, thank you for being on the show. And until next time, guys, stay tuned. Thanks, man. Cool, bro.